Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. So open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we'll be heading there in just a moment in your text. We'd love to have, for you to have that open this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here at the church, and uh, we're glad you're with us. We're in a series, as Samantha mentioned a bit earlier, called Pathways, and the intent of Pathways is to help us understand how we are going to walk with Jesus as disciples. What are the things that God does to draw us close to Him and give us the strength, the courage, and the focus that we need to be His disciples? In week one, we looked at a passage where uh, Moses met God on a mountain, and we saw that God came to display His glory. Now, glory is not just boasting on God. Glory is the reality of God that's understood, that we can experience it, we can radiate it, we can reflect it, that God's goodness and his kindness is not just for his glory, but as disciples and children of his, it actually becomes our glory too, that our hope is in him and we know him and he loves us and we experience that. In week two of our series, we looked last week at what are some of the things that you and I can do to open ourselves up to the glory of God more significantly. And there were three things that we found in Hebrews chapter 10. The first is that we need to become worshipers. Now, worship is not the event we're doing currently, although this contains worship. But we often call this, this is a worship service, and it is. But worship is any time you and I adore and pay attention to the things that God is doing. I get up uh, fairly early on Sunday mornings, and I was taking my walk this morning, and the, the temperature dropped a little bit, and a cool wind started blowing pretty briskly, and I looked out to the horizon as the sun was beginning to try to penetrate the clouds, and I saw this huge high wall of dark clouds, and I could feel that the temperature was coming, and I saw that moment, and I thought, wow, he's big. That is a huge, huge storm coming our way, and it was just powerful and beautiful, and yet I was safe, and in that moment, I felt like God spoke to me and simply said, I got you. Life is not always what I want it to be, but I've got you. How do we worship God? How do we notice the small things in life? How do we take moments in our day to see God moving, an act of kindness, an opportunity to love somebody, and we respond to it? That's what worship is. We also were told that to open ourselves up to the glory of God, we need to hold on to our hope when the world tries to take it from us. And the third thing we notice is that we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds, that the reason we gather as a community of faith each week, as they, they did in the early church, was to remind ourselves that walking by faith may be difficult, but it's worth it, and to help people that are struggling. And so that's where we've been. God's glory draws to us, and we draw into God's glory. And so today, I want to extend this a little bit. And I want to remind you, especially if this is your first week with us in the Pathway series, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to weeks one and two on our website or on your podcast to stay connected to the series because this is a journey we're all on. You see, our, our phrase here, the thing we want to remind you of repeatedly here at the church is that we are here to prepare God's people to find their completeness in Jesus. Now, this is not just a slogan or a catchphrase we created. It comes right out of Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul is talking about how God created the church and what its purpose is. That it is not our job to make you followers of Jesus, but it is our role as a community of faith to help you and prepare you to find your completeness in who Jesus is. 
Now, we have been doing research on this for about 18 months. How do we create a pathway of discipleship that people can come into and join others as we journey toward Jesus? And in our research, we found some vocabulary that we really liked. And that vocabulary talks about where you are in your walk of faith. And there are four, and I just want you to, to assess regularly where you are. There are those that are exploring Christ, and these are people who know God is real, and Jesus was, but they don't have a relationship with him. They're not disciples of his, they're not against him, but they're also not with him, and they're beginning. And maybe some of you are here today, and you're like, I'm just trying to figure this all out, so if you can teach me these things, I may be open to it. You're exploring Christ, and we're glad you're here, because this is where we all began. And then there are those that are growing in Christ. And I like to refer to them, and I want to be careful, I refer to them affectionately as toddlers. So they have a relationship with Jesus, they know who he is, they have pledged themselves as disciples to him, they have repented, confessed, been baptized, they've done the things that Jesus asks of us. But they're toddlers in that they need help walking and learning and making better choices and trying to figure out what following Christ looks like. And then the third level are those that are close to Christ. You've had long-term experience with Jesus. You've trusted him. You've experienced it by faith. You're growing, but you still need some help. You still make choices you wish you had, and you're still trying to develop yourself more toward the lines of what Christ has called you to be. And then the fourth are those that are Christ-centered. These people have experienced the fullness of life with Jesus. They've had high moments and low moments. They've, they've had success and failure, but they're sold out that Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the one they want to give their lives to. Now, the beautiful part about this pathways imagery is that we believe Christ-centered people have been to the mountaintop with God, and not only are they satisfied with that, but they can also come down to the valley and still be satisfied with it, and they can help people get up that mountain. They not only say, I've been there, but I want you to see it, and I want you to go with me. And that's the ultimate goal of all of our discipleship, is to help others from those that are exploring and growing and uh, bringing themselves closer to Christ, that we help them in their journey, preparing people to find their completeness in Jesus. So today what I want to challenge us, and I hope I'm an encouragement, because I want to give you a reason why you should do what we're going to ask you to do today, and that is to position ourselves in the path of God's grace. You see, the pathway that, that we are to walk on with Jesus is not created by you and me. It's actually created by God. It's a narrow pathway, and few want to walk it but those who walk it find eternal life. And so we're not talking about whether you're saved or not. We're talking about whether you're growing in your completeness in who Jesus Christ is. That's what discipleship really is. So we want to position ourselves on the path to those moments that God meets us. Now, whether you're a veteran believer and you've been following Jesus for decades, or whether you're just kicking the tires here and you're just learning to explore him, what we're talking about today is good for every single one of us. Today, I want, I want to encourage you to position yourself in such a way that you can know God more personally and intimately. So I'm going to give you this deep theological illustration, right? Here we go. When you turn on a light switch, you don't think for a moment that by flipping that light switch, you created energy, right? You don't think by flipping that switch that that switch is what brought electricity into that room or turned that light on or turned that television on. We know that, right? Right? Now, sometimes we think that, you know, I'm all powerful, watch me, you did nothing, right? You did flick a switch, though. You know when you turn your faucet on in your kitchen or your bathroom, that that didn't create water. That just opened you up to the flow of water that existed. 
and was brought to you by this. What we're talking about when we talk about the things we do on the pathway with God are not things that generate God or make God perform. It just opens us up to the flow of what God is doing. And today I want to talk to you about what his research has indicated is the number one thing that brings a relationship with God to life in you. And I hope you're interested in that. But I want you to know in advance, the practices we're going to be talking about are not fancy. They're not complicated. God doesn't ask you to do the thing only one in a million people can do. He's asking you to do the things that every single one of us can do. And we're going to be looking at three postures over the next three weeks. The first posture is whether we're able to listen to God. When he reveals himself, are we willing to listen and open ourselves up to that revelation? Second thing, can we be with God? Can we comfortably and peacefully be in the presence of God and desire that? And the third thing we're going to look at is we're going to talk about in community, why did God create this community of believers and what benefit do we grow in our grace of God by being together? So let me begin this morning. Three or it's just a couple of quick points. The first thing I want us to understand is we have to train ourselves for godliness. We have to do some work. It's going to take some effort. If you want to see the beauty of a mountain, you're going to have to climb something. If you, if you want to, to create great art, it takes effort. If you want to experience real friendship, you can't just be the only one receiving. You have to be the one giving and providing and encouraging and growing together. And so on the pathway, the first thing we do is we are training ourselves for these moments of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to a young preacher, and he said, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Now, that word minister doesn't mean a professional guy like me, you know, a paid Christian. That's not what he's talking about. He said, if you want to be a good minister, he, the word minister means servant. And he says here, let me, if I can paraphrase this first sentence, if you point these things out to believers, you will be a good servant of Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myth and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The reason I like this passage in Timothy is it's not only good for us one day when we, quote, unquote, get to heaven, whatever that means to you, but it actually has a reality in our present walk, in our everyday life, walking with Jesus and experiencing the goodness of this. And we're told not only are we to have this moment where we follow the good teaching, but we need to be those that promote the good teaching and share the good teaching and teach the good teaching. So this morning, I want to focus you on why, why we need to do this, not just how we do it. The how can lead us to religious activities. You can do the how of what I'm talking about today and not grow closer to God in any way. But we are to discipline ourselves. We are to train ourselves for godliness. It's going to take work. And it's a gift. And as we receive it, I want you to think about this with me. As we receive it, we become it. Now, that seems strange. C.S. Lewis used a controversial word when he talked about this. C.S. Lewis was an uh, English philosopher and Christian author. And he said that if you pretend to desire God, you'll find yourself desiring God. And everybody went crazy because they didn't like the word pretend. So I talked about this at our Thursday night worship, and John Hill came up to me, and I wish John would have written a sermon because it would have been better, but John walked up to me and said, yeah, it's kind of like, how do you fall asleep? You pretend you're asleep, and then you find yourself what? Asleep. And I was like, wow, that was really good. 
And I had to give him credit because God would have struck me dead if you'd have thought I came up with that. So how do we do this godliness thing? We actually pretend we're godly and find that the Spirit does what in us? It produces a holiness that's not of us. We trust the words of God and the expectations of God and the desires of God, and then we become those things all by his work. But we posture ourselves to receive it. But I want to say this, and then I'm going to get right at it. The greatest gift you and I will receive on the pathway is not enlightenment. It's not skill. It's Jesus. And if you walk the pathway trying to use God to get you something outside of God, you are actually playing one of the most dangerous games you could ever play. We don't do the things of God to get something besides God. We do the things of God and pretend we're godly, and we might just find out when we're done, he did that in us. And he brought about godliness in our lives. John 17, verse 3, when explaining what eternal life was, not, now listen, eternal life, Jesus never says, you get to go to heaven, and you, sit on, you play a harp, and you float on a cloud. Nope. He says, eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is our end game, to draw close to the God who draws close to us. And when all is said and done, our hope is not to be an expert. Our hope is to be an intimate, personal friend. Jeremiah 9 says, who understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. If you ask God today, why does he draw close to you? Why does he want time with you? Why does he want a personal connection with you? It's so that you and I would understand his love, his justice, and his righteousness, that we would know his glory. And by knowing his glory, we would experience it, radiate it, reflect it into the world. So how do we do this? How are we supposed to, to do all of this? Well, here's the point I want to make. You need to listen to his voice. And the way we hear the voice of God is the word. We need to listen to the voice. Now, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want you to be honest. Well, first of all, I'd like you to answer out loud. Second of all, I'd like you to be honest in your answer. Do you believe God still speaks? Now, there are some people in the room, and I'm not making fun of you because I might even be one of you who have never heard the audible voice of God. I've always joked with you that if God has ever spoken to me, he speaks to me in my own voice. Because I'll have a thought I've never had before, and I'll stop and wonder, that may be of the Lord, but he sounded just like me. But so for some of you, when I said, does God speak to you, your response was, yeah, I think he still speaks. I'm not sure he speaks to me. Let me rephrase the question and see if we can't get a better understanding. Does God still reveal himself? That's called speaking in the scripture. An identification that God is saying, this is me. I am the God who created the heaven and the earth. I saw that this morning on my walk. I saw the clouds rolling in and I saw the power in that storm and I thought, wow, he's big. And that didn't, I wasn't looking for that. It hit me. And I felt like in that moment, God said to me and revealed himself to me. So I want, to, well, I want you to know, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that Peter, who knew Jesus intimately, tells us something powerful we need to hold on to. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's huge. If we're going to train ourselves for godliness and we want eternal life, not just life one day in heaven, but life now living in the power of his kingdom, if we want that, and if he's given us everything we need through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, this concept of glory is not just a lens we wear occasionally. It's the lenses that are to be in front of our eyes every day. 
And Peter says the way that we grow in godliness, the way that we grow in life, the way that we know the glory of God is through our knowledge of him. God still speaks. And God has spoken in powerful ways. Powerful, authoritative self-expression. I want you to think about those words. Powerful, authoritative self-expression. God is revealing himself to us. Now, for some of you, he's going to reveal yourself to nature. For some of us, to, through our children. For some of us, with our best friends in community. For some, it'll be in a private study or a prayer time. And all of those are still the revelation of God. Don't be discouraged. If God reveals himself in one way to person A, but doesn't reveal himself to you as person B, only be concerned if he's not revealing himself at all. So it's not a comparison game. Like, who got the better deal? If, we, if the end game is to get Jesus and to get the Father, then just get him and let how he reveals himself to you be up to him. See, I think that we need to know how does God reveal himself or speak. God speaks in Jesus. And that's a given. That We think about that all the time, but I don't know that we understand that if you're looking to hear and feel and the revelation of God in your life, listen to Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. This is one of the questions we're asking ourselves is, how does God speak? And this author says that God used to do it through prophets and through miracles and through pillars of fire and cloud and all of these things. But in these last days, and praise God, we're in the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he had made the universe. God says, if you want to know me, Pay attention to Jesus. If you want to hear my voice, listen to what he said. If you want to know what I'm thinking and you want to know who I am and you want to draw close to my glory, then pay attention to the glory of my son. And when we get Jesus, we understand God because Jesus is the foremost revelation of God and he is the foremost voice of God. That's why in John 14, let's see if we can fill in the blank, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, when you want to know who God is, remember they said, show us God. And Jesus is like, you're looking at him. Not because Jesus was arrogant, but he said, I came to reveal the Father. So God speaks in Jesus. God speaks through good news, the gospel. God speaks in the epic arc of his story, of what he's been doing since our failure in the Garden of Eden, in our rebellion, what has God been doing? And the scriptures all speak to this. Remember, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, and he's walking with these two men, and he begins with Moses, and he explains that all the scriptures were pointing to him. We need to preach to ourselves regularly the gospel, and when we do that, we will hear the voice of God. We will know the will of God. We will experience that. In Acts chapter 20, our mission is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God and to the words of his grace. So, talking about what Jesus Christ did reveals the voice of God to ourselves and to those who we're talking. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 tells us why it's important for us to hear the voice of God in the gospel story so that we would hold fast in the midst of a crooked and perverse society. We have been warned that the world is telling us messages that are, are not true, and if you and I are not aware of the story of God's redemptive work, we can buy into lies. We can believe that heaven is a one day, worry about it later, just get your salvation now, and God will work out everything else over time. Just as long as you die with salvation, you're good, instead of realizing the kingdom is so much bigger than a temporary blessing that never materializes in the lives we live.
God speaks through the scriptures. You see, the words of God in the scriptures are true. And yet, I want you to understand, and as a pastor, I want to encourage you, that when you go beyond reading the scriptures for facts, for, for truths, for winning arguments, when we move beyond the scriptures, and there are facts in the scripture, and two plus two equals four, I get that. I remember that from my education. If you give me two things, and you give me two more things, I'm going to have four things, unless I ate one of them. But I'm going to have four things, because two plus two equals four. But you know what? That fact doesn't change my life. That fact doesn't shape my mind, my heart, my soul, or my strength. That's just a fact. And for many of us, I want you to understand that God did not give us the scripture so we'd have a fact book. Or do you remember in the 70s when they used to tell us this is the owner's manual on how to live this thing called life? Ick. It is not. It's a conversation between the living God showing us what he's been doing through history to redeem all of us from our brokenness. It's the good story of a great father who loves his children even when they don't love him back. It's a powerful story. So are we reading scriptures to get facts? And there's nothing wrong with those facts unless we miss the voice of the one telling us the story. Unless we miss the author's intent. Unless we miss the heart of our father. His voice can be known. His presence can be experienced. And his truth can lead us. God speaks through Jesus. He speaks through the gospel story. He speaks through the scriptures themselves. He speaks in community. He speaks hundreds of ways. But today we're focusing on what has been proven in research to be the number one thing to draw you into the glory of God is the word of God and listening to his voice through scriptures. Now, before you jump to a conclusion, I'm not suggesting that's the only way you can hear God, but it, you can always hear God in the word. And for those that say, well, he doesn't speak to me audibly, read the word. Put yourself, because the will of God is found in the word of God. And we need to know the word. Psalm 119 is a very famous passage. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I want you to think about that in light of this pathways image we're using. For many of us who don't open the word of God and we're not in the scriptures and we're not hearing God's truth applied to God's love and glory, we may find ourselves walking on a pathway in the dark and that's dangerous. We're not being guided, we're making our own choices. And the imagery here is to trust the word because what we will discover on the pathway is the Father. And I've never met anybody who's climbed 14,000 feet. And I've met several people who have done that. I've got a good friend who walked the Appalachian Trail. It took him over six months. He walked the entire thing. He slept at night in bear cages. I said, how many times did you feel unsafe? He pulled out his journal. 17 nights he was threatened by a wild animal on the Appalachian. Twice he was mugged by humans on the Appalachian Trail. And at the end of that six months, when he looked like he hadn't eaten a solid meal in forever, he looked at me and he said, do you want to go with me next year? You see, when you open the faucet, what comes out can be doggone amazing. But you have to open the faucet. You have to flick on the switch. You have to walk the trail. But honestly, he wanted to go the next year, six months. I said, how do you pay your bills? Okay, uh, I'm so deep. You see, on this pathway to experience the glory of God, it's going to take some effort. And this, there's nothing wrong with it, except the beauty of the reward is not just in the effort, the reward is in the Father. You see, because opening the scriptures is not a science, it's an art. And God will speak to you as you open it up. 
And he will speak to you in a distinct way than he speaks to me. And so that's the beauty of what I want to offer you. Or as John Piper, a preacher, says, and I really like that, he said, when it comes to opening the word of God, he said, raking your yard is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging takes effort, but it can produce diamonds. And what I'm saying is, we're not just having a conversation about whether you should have a Bible study time. And I don't mean a little three-minute, read a little quick little illustration and a verse, and they've already written a prayer for you, and you run your eyes over that. That's what toddlers start with, and they need that. But if that's what you're living on, Paul says, you need to get off milk and get to meat. We need to dig a little bit to find the diamonds, not just rake to find the leaves. And we can do this because the reward, the why is important. I need to do this quickly. But I want to give you an example. I had a professor that changed me. Uh, i got to be quick. He is easily the most naturally intelligent person I've ever met. His name was George Brown. He was my literature professor at Great Lakes Christian College when I attended there. And George was not fascinated with me at all. In fact, he was actually pretty perturbed by 18-year-old Mark. So instead of dismissing me, he decided he was going to fix me. And he invited a couple of us over to his house regularly. His wife, Kathy, and he were very hospitable, and they made wonderful chili, and he would show us movies. He didn't show us funny movies or cool movies or entertaining movies. He showed us deep, philosophical, artsy films, and he made us watch it. And he showed us this one movie one time, and he asked us a bunch of questions. after, what did you think of the movie? And of course, I'm an idiot, 18 or 19-year-old boy. Well, I'm an idiot anyway, but I was only 19 at the time and uh, could express it more fluidly. And... Uh, I just said, I don't know, I thought it was this. I was trying to impress him, and I saw the look on his face. The same when I got in the classroom, he wasn't impressed. And then he started showing me scenes in the movie that I missed while watching the same movie he was watching. He showed me what the director was doing. He showed me a camera angle. He said, isn't it funny that she pauses right here before she gives this huge line? And he began to show me that you can sometimes watch a film to find out what they're trying to say when they're not saying anything. And what I want to challenge each and every one of us to do is you are capable because of the Holy Spirit abiding in you to read the scriptures and mine for diamonds instead of just raking for leaves. I want to give you four words if you ever watch film. I'm hoping film works. If not, you can apply these actually to, to, movie, or to books as well. But let's look at movies. Four quick terms. Scripture reading. Scripture reading is, telling, is just watching the story take place. It's like watching a movie and just watching it, and your mind's not engaged, but you know the storyline. You know who the antagonist and the protagonist are. You know who the actors are and why they're chosen. You know where they live. You know the scenery. You're just watching the movie. That's what scripture reading does. It takes in the story of God's story. It's just understanding the story. But the next level is to study. The next word is study, and this is when you slow down to take in all the directors are saying. When George would stop a film and he'd say, why is the camera angle coming directly over the actors and coming down on them. I'm like, oh no. And then he would just tell me and I'd be like, oh my goodness, I never see that film the same way again. You see, when you're watching and uh, uh, studying a film, you're, you're studying the choices that are made. And we do the same thing when we open the word. We're asking, what is the author saying here and who are they saying it to and why are they saying it and why is this word used instead of this word and why did Jesus use a parable there instead of a story and why was the parable confusing? This is when you pay attention to not only the story, but you pay attention to the choices being made in the story. The third word is meditation. And this is lingering over a particular moment to let it affect you. So I can name films, but it doesn't matter because, but I can name a book. I can take you to a moment in Les Mis where Victor Hugo tells the story of Jean Valjean who it, he 
steals bread to feed his family. He goes to heart prison. He's released from heart prison. And he goes and he's rescued by a priest. And he spends the night in the priest's house. And all of the mercy shown him, he still steals from that priest two silver candlesticks. And he's caught later. And they bring him back to the priest. And the priest could simply say, those are my candlesticks. He stole from me after I was good to him. But instead, the priest says, in front of the inspector, he says to Jean Valjean, you forgot to take these other pieces of silver too. And in that great moment of mercy, my heart was stopped in reading that book. And when I think of the word redemption, I think of that powerful moment, wondering what I have done, what the priest did, and how many times has God done that to me as Jean Valjean? You can read the story or you can stop and let that scene in the book or the movie alter you. This is what we do in scripture. We stop when God is saying something and we listen and we respond and we let it sink in and then we memorize. It's allowing the scene. You know, my mind is full of ridiculous information as yours. I can quote entire scenes from Monty Python, not that impressive. I know 90% of Tommy Boy's dialogue not going to get me anywhere. <laughs> Memorization is making a choice to remember the beauty of a moment in Scripture that can help you walk the path of life. Romans 15.4 encourages us, whatever was written down for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Remember this. When you open the Word of God and you make it available to your heart, when you open the Word of the Scriptures, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is speaking every time you open the Word. God is speaking every time you open the Word. God is being revealed every time you open the Word. Instead of raking leaves, let's dig for diamonds. Let's listen for the voice of God. And there's four words we want to use to help us go through this. First one is know. Do you know the truth revealed in Scripture? If your answer today is, I'm not very good at that, or I've, I've tried before and I can't get there, I'm going to offer you something here in just a minute that will be helpful. But we want, we want you to ask yourself the word no. Do I know him? Follow, am I following Jesus and doing what he would want? Not only am I a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer. I'm responding, I'm turning on the faucet to let the power of God flow. And I'm putting myself in there. Third word is grow. Am I growing deeper in my relationship with Jesus? Am I studying facts or am I having a heart change? Am I stopping and not just being entertained by the movie, but am I watching the movie to understand what is being said in and out of each and every scene of this powerful story? And go, am I sharing my faith and showing others Jesus? In my walk on the pathway, am I sharing what God is teaching me that they might learn it too and grow with me? So I know as a pastor, I have these conversations and they're always really good. Someone says, I want to study the word, but I tried and I, I just don't know how to do it. I don't even know where to begin. Or you'll say to me, Mark, you find some information about how the Jews thought differently than us. Where do you get that information? I get it from books. I get it from study and research. Well, could you share those books with me? Yeah, we'd be happy to. We've created a document that's on tables out in the foyer. No matter which exit you go out, there should be a table with some papers there. On the first step of pathways to understand the intimacy of relationship with God is being in the Word of God. And we've produced some papers for you out there that will help you answer some of the best practices for having a Bible study. Where to begin, what questions to ask, how to slow down and dig. What resources would be good to start with that you might know what the Scriptures teach. 
Now, for those of you that are like, well, piece of paper, I'm going to end up placing it or losing it, we also, on our webpage, if you go to cco.church backslash pathways, the first thing you'll see is a downloadable PDF if you want to go digital or the basic instructions of the paper for you to take right off the webpage. The question I want to ask you this morning is, do you want to know God more fully? The first step, open the word, listen to his voice, and see what he has to say. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.